Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 140. Today's topic is the duty of government. We'll be talking about the duty of government in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So, at the Climate Report, I believe that we have five separate and distinct threats to our existence. Climate change is one. Nuclear war is another. The loss of biodiversity is another. Rapidly diminishing supplies of fresh water is another. And the fourth, which, I mean the fifth, which almost combines everything else, is our agribusiness system, which is just horrendous in addition to using a whole lot of fossil fuels and using pesticides which are neurotoxins and therefore harmful to human health, our agribusiness system such as it is is literally at war with biodiversity on the earth. So what do all these things have in common? What all these things have in common is that they result from a system, from a governmental system, where people are of no account. The people at the very top who make lots and lots of money by creating these crises care nothing for human life. And that's a strong statement, but I have to say that actions are louder than words, and actions are louder than feelings. When you make money off of nuclear weapons, even though nuclear weapons threaten everybody and everything then I have to conclude that you care about money more than you care about human life. And it's the same with climate change. The oil companies have known about climate change since the early 70s, and instead of using their knowledge to help people, they have used their knowledge to confuse people, and I have to conclude that they value money more than human life, because actions are louder than words and actions are louder than feelings. So our purpose is to change the system that has brought us these threats. And changing the system is what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, go to theclimatereport.net to find my latest podcast episodes, videos, and blog posts, and also playlists. So, this is the third of a three-part series in which we are examining the legislation put forth by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, I think, 60 co-sponsors in Congress. And the purpose, the, the legislation is called the Green New Deal, unofficially. Officially, it's called Recognizing the Duty of the Federal Government to Create a Green New Deal. In other words, before we do anything else, we are going to vote on whether it is the duty of the Federal Government to create a Green New Deal. And some people are lining up on what is clearly the right side of this question, and some people, including our own Mitch McConnell, are lining up on what is clearly the wrong side of this question. Mitch McConnell took a, what you might call a preemptory vote. He said, we're not going to let this go any further before we take a vote that says it is not the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. In so doing, in my humble opinion, our 
Senator Mitch McConnell is on the wrong side of science, the wrong side of history, and has shown that he has no demonstrated or demonstrable concern for the vast majority, for the fate of the vast majority of his constituents. If he has such a concern, he has not demonstrated it. In fact, he is demonstrating a willingness to put all of his constituents in grave danger. Thus, he is complicit in what Noam Chomsky calls a failed state. But wait a minute, a failed state is not the United States. This is the United States of America. But look, we describe, we label uh, other countries as failed states if the government is not fulfilling some of its basic functions and thereby putting its own people and others in danger. I use the term failed state advisedly because the United States government, the federal government, is not fulfilling some of its basic functions and is thereby putting the American people and the people of the world in grave danger. Now I'm going to start reading from the legislation which, irrespective of its role in the procedural aspects of our government, it's a good educational tool. The fact that this legislation is currently not pending because it has been voted down does not eliminate the fact that it is a good educational tool, is a good tool for policy education, and is a good summary of the relevant facts and issues that it addresses. So, for example, it says, Climate change constitutes a direct threat to the national security of the United States. Number one, by impacting the economic, environmental, and social stability of countries and communities around the world. And two, by acting as a threat multiplier. So let me illustrate what's meant by a threat multiplier. So a threat multiplier is something that, well, multiplies other threats. For example, if climate change causes drought, and drought causes people to have to leave their homes and migrate to other countries, and if that migration causes social unrest, and if the social unrest causes wars, and if the wars further exacerbate climate change, then what we've just described is a feedback loop because climate change then comes all the way back around full circle and causes more drought. So drought is just a word until you consider that drought means you don't have enough water to live on. People in this world experience kidney failure because they don't have enough water to live on. And if you have kidney failure and you don't have dialysis, then your life can be numbered in weeks. This is why there's so much social injustice inherent in climate change. Because we Americans, especially the power elites, who have caused the most emissions and the most climate change, are often not the first to experience the ill effects of climate change. So the question is, are we going to take responsibility for the harm that we have caused? And when I say we, honestly, I'm not talking about you and me. Because no, you know, everybody is part of the system. 
but some people are standing, consciously standing directly in the way of positive change. So when I say we have caused this problem, what I really mean is they have caused this problem, with they being the power elites who refuse to take reasonable action in light of imminent threats. What kind of person refuses to take imminent, to take reasonable action in light of imminent threats? I'll let you make up your own mind about that, but suffice it to say that psychopaths exist, and some of them make it to the highest levels of government, and some others make it to the highest levels of business. It is safe to say that the ruling elite are not normal people. They are outliers in terms of the amount of power and wealth they have managed to accumulate, and some of them are outliers in terms of their mental stability. This is America. We are supposed to be about limited government, but we have taken some people and allowed them to accumulate ungodly sums of money, which isn't a problem at all. I mean, having lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money is not a problem at all. Unless you consider that money is power, and power is the power to do harm. Money is the power to do harm in the form of causing wars. Money is the power to do harm in the form of making war on the biodiversity of our planet. Money is the power to do harm in terms of manufacturing nuclear weapons and then having enough control of the media so that the American people are not consciously aware of the real threat that we face. Money is the power to profit from the acquisition of too much of our water. Money is the power to take way more than your fair share of our water. Money is the power to continue to make profit and more profit and more profit as an oil company, putting the entire life of the planet at risk. Money gives you the power to put the entire planet at risk. There is such thing as too much money in too few hands. Continuing to read in our handy-dandy Green New Deal legislation, the federal government-led mobilizations during World War II and the New Deal created the greatest middle class that the United States has ever seen. But many members of the frontline and vulnerable communities were excluded from many of the economic and societal benefits of these mobilizations. That's talking about the redlining where, where in the Green New Deal they drew a line between white communities and communities of color and it's the white communities that benefited and it's the communities of color that were left out. It goes on to say, the House of Representatives recognizes that a new national, social, industrial, and economic mobilization on a scale not seen since World War II and the New Deal, is a historic opportunity. 
So a mobilization is a historic opportunity. Who wants mobilization or should want mobilization? Well, 99% of us. Who is standing in the way of mobilization for now? The 1%. What is the solution to that? Well, for the 99% to organize, educate, and agitate. It's the basics of political activism. We can do it, but we have to decide to do it, and we have to know how to do it. And that's why we're at the Climate Report having this conversation. So the Green New Deal legislation goes on to say, we have a historic opportunity to create millions of good high-wage jobs in the United States. Quick reminder, jobs in renewable energy and mass transit are much more abundant per million dollars spent than jobs in oil, coal, and gas. Repeat, per million dollars spent Jobs in renewable energy and mass transit are much greater, three times more. So, for example, you have oil and gas, spend a million dollars, create five to seven jobs. But mass transit, spend a million dollars and create 22 jobs. Plus, you're not just creating jobs, you're creating entire industries. Generating energy from solar panels is an entire industry. Generating energy from windmills is an entire industry. Creating a state-of-the-art electric grid that we need for properly managing solar power and wind power is an entire industry. Lots and lots of technicians are needed. Lots and lots of engineers are needed. Lots and lots of urban planners are needed. New industries create more jobs. New technologies create more jobs. New industries with new technologies can make the United States a world leader in these industries. As it is now, we're struggling Instead of making the world's best solar panels, we're making the world's best fighter planes. This is not cool. It is not hip. It is not fun. Continuing to read, we have the opportunity to provide unprecedented levels of prosperity and economic security for all people of the United States. This is what the Congressional Republicans and mainstream Democrats are opposed to. They're opposed to creating millions of good high-wage jobs because their corporate donors are more important. They are opposed to providing unprecedented levels of prosperity and economic security for all people of the United States because their corporate donors are more important. They're opposed to counteracting systemic injustices. Did you know that people of color are twice as likely to live near plants that expose them to toxic and chemical pollutants. Twice as likely. This is a systemic injustice. For this and other reasons, now therefore, let's do some legalese. Now therefore, be it resolved. 
that it is the sense of the House of Representatives that it is the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. And here is what some of what we can expect to accomplish or some of the goals inherent in the Green New Deal. We want to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions through a fair and just transition for all communities and workers. A fair and just transmission, trans, transition means that the burden of this transition is not going to fall on the working class. And the burden of this transition is not going to fall on the workers in the fossil fuel industry. Continuing to read, furthermore, it is the duty of the federal government to create millions of good high-wage jobs and ensure prosperity and economic security for all people of the United States. Unless you are a congressperson who gets lots and lots and lots of corporate money, then it is not your duty to create millions of good high-wage jobs or to ensure uh, prosperity and economic security. Those are the things that you are opposed to if you like your corporate money. The people who are in Congress are there because they like their corporate money. If they don't like their corporate money, then they can prove it by not taking corporate money. If you don't like corporate money better than economic prosperity, then prove it by not taking corporate money. Furthermore, it is the duty of the federal government to invest in infrastructure and industry of the United States to sustainably meet the challenges of the 21st century. Because fossil fuels are so 20th century, we don't need them anymore. They are, they are disgusting. They are filled with things like VOCs, volatile organic compounds, and the question is, what diseases do these things not cause? Volatile organic compounds cause a list of diseases that is unimaginably long and severe. Continuing to read, it is also the sense of the House of Representatives that we will secure for all people of the United States for generations to come clean air and water, climate and community resiliency, healthy food, access to nature, and a sustainable environment. We have been told for time immemorial that we have to choose between jobs and the environment, that we have to choose between jobs and health, that we have to choose between jobs and clean air, that we have to choose between jobs and clean water, that we have to choose between jobs and healthy food. It's all a big, fat, hairy lie. Continuing to read the Green New Deal legislation, it is the sense of the House of Representatives that it is the duty of the federal government to promote justice and equity by stopping current and preventing future and repairing historic oppression of indigenous communities, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth, 
referred to in this resolution as frontline and vulnerable communities. In other words, are we going to give a flying flip about frontline and vulnerable communities or not? Continuing to read, it is also the duty of the federal government to build resiliency against climate change related disasters such as extreme weather by leveraging funding and providing investments for community-defined projects and strategies. This is an example of what I call federal funding and local control. People and politicians who have a heart have been vilified for wanting to help people. They're vilified and called socialists. Or they are mocked by saying, how are you going to pay for this? But we have to decide, are we going to have a government of the people, by the people, for the people, or are we going to have a government of the rich, by the rich, for the rich? There's never any problem paying for these things if it means bailing out the banks. There's never a problem paying for these things if it means going to yet another endless war. We need to stop listening to the nonsense of people who are so in love with corporate money that they can't see straight. Continuing to read, We are going to repair and upgrade the infrastructure of the United States, including by eliminating pollution and greenhouse gas emissions as much as technologically feasible. Key word, technologically feasible. Just because something is technologically feasible doesn't mean that we have the political will to do it. And political will means corporate will and corporate money. There's always the political will to do what corporations and billionaires want. But are we going to exploit our technological capacity to help people or are we not? Continuing to read, we are also going to guarantee universal access to clean water. That means companies that want to suck water up out of the ground, put it in a plastic bottle, and sell it hundreds of miles away might have to stop doing that because we want to guarantee access to clean water. Water is not a commodity. It should not be sold for a profit. It is a right not a commodity. We're going to reduce the risk posed by flooding and other climate impacts. Lots and lots of ways to control flooding, including by planting lots and lots of trees. We could be controlling floods and providing habitat for wildlife and sucking lots and lots of carbon out of the atmosphere if we would plant trees, because when trees grow, they absorb carbon. When trees grow, the energy from the sun makes the trees grow, and when the tree grows, carbon is being sucked into that tree. And the same is true from with a type of agriculture called agroforestry, where you make heavy use of trees, where you practice a type of agriculture where trees are integrated into the process. And when you do that, and when you don't till up the soil every year and dump tons of, t- of p- 
poisonous fertilizer on it, then the ground becomes a carbon sink. The ground absorbs the carbon through the plants. Plants absorb the carbon and then put it into the ground. If you've ever seen black soil, that's really good soil. And the reason it's black is because it has carbon in it. We could be using trees to absorb carbon and store it in the soil. But that kind of thing, we can do some of that locally, and we should. But we need to do it on the level of a national mobilization. The biggest national mobilization ever was when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and we got into World War II. We need to act as if climate change is a greater threat than the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. Because it is an infinitely greater threat. In this country, we need to deal with real threats, not fake threats. The oligarchs in this country, the powers that be, the billionaires and the big corporations, have made untold and ungodly amounts of money by convincing us to buy into false threats, like socialists and communists and terrorists and narco-traffickers. We need to deal with real threats, not false threats. Continuing to read, we will meet 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, including by dramatically expanding and upgrading existing renewable existing renewable power sources and by deploying new capacity so question we've got big three automakers why are we using those to make cars why are we not using those factories to make solar panels and windmills why are we not using those factories to make a state-of-the-art energy grid why are we not using those factories to make mass transit the answer is the things I just named are going to cause rich people to have less money. And that is the only reason. Otherwise, we have every reason to engage in a national mobilization to deal with the greatest threats we've ever faced. You know, if I could be anybody in history, I would want to be Barack Obama in 2009 And I would want to have the opportunity to do just the opposite of what he did. He came into office making promises. He came into office having a popular mandate. And when the banks came crawling to him, he gave them everything they wanted. More to the point, when General Motors failed, he gave it back to the same people or the same types of people, the same class of people, And they went about doing the same thing they had always done before. There is not a place in the United States where you can buy a passenger car for a light rail train. You have to go to Japan or France where they have the good sense to make such things. Because it makes sense to make such things. I've got about another minute and a half left. I would like to leave you with something to think about. I am the last person in the world to throw you on a guilt trip. 
because it's not your fault and it's not my fault that we're in this situation. But we do have access to the ability to solve this problem. And in solving this problem, the problem of climate change and its four evil sisters or brothers, (laughs) nuclear war, scarcity of water, dysfunctional food system, and loss of biodiversity, we have a historic opportunity to solve all these problems. And we must. And it has to do with creating a power shift. We cannot do that individually. We must do it collectively. To solve these problems, we can create a whole new world, but we have to practice the basics of activism. And that means organize, educate, and agitate. I hope you will join me in that process. Thanks so much for stopping by. I hope you'll come back soon. Have a nice day.